0: For them as well, Amen. Um, we're gonna, so we're going to go into the Word of God. We're gonna uh, we're gonna be talking today. Uh, the topic I had in mind, which I didn't really give a whole lot of thought to the specifics of the topic. To uh, I'm sorry, the wording should I say of the topic? Uh, but the first thing that kind of came to my mind was there is still sin. There is still sin, uh, which you know, in today's today's age. Uh, there's so many people that are willing to say that it, there there really is no such thing as sin um, and that, you know, well, what do you just kind of do whatever feels good to you and as long as it's not breaking any laws and even sometimes even if it's breaking a law, depending on what law, as long as you're not hurting someone else like murder or rape, uh, you know, as long as you're what we call morally good then everything's okay. Um, now that has also been um mixed by because that's what you have on one extreme right is that there's just really nothing that is sin you just do whatever you want you do whatever feels good to your senses um and 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 that's one end of the spectrum but then we have the other end of the spectrum which was brought about by the church which is, you know, there not only is there sin, but then there's all these other things that we're going to say that we don't want you to do because you know you're getting close to sin or we just don't like the way it looks or tradition dictates to us this thing. And so for someone who's lost in the middle of that, it can be sometimes a little uh, uh, disconcerting. it can be a little confusing uh, to, to be caught in the middle of two extremes. because one extreme you've got, you know the center, but then the other extreme, you've got, um, you've got the Pharisee and the Sadducee type of mindset and thinking uh, that that old and and sometimes that old school, you know, I guess we'll say Christian uh, uh, concept of thinking, uh, where you know a lot of the pastors they used to say uh that it was their convictions that was a word that they used to use it was their convictions uh but but how do you have convictions that are not in the word of god uh so your even your convictions need to match up with what the word says. Otherwise it turns into control. This turns into lasciviousness on this side. And then this turns into bondage on the other side. And so we have to make sure that we parse out what does it really mean or what is sin really? And we're going to get deeper into that. But right now we're going to go to, um, and, and I really kind of was like, well, man, where do I go for this? You know, obviously we could go pr- almost like so many different places in the Bible. And then the Lord brought it to me to just go back go back, we, we've looked over this scripture before, but to go back to the original uh, 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 time that sin is brought up. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter number three. Um, and I think that you guys can see my screen there. Um, but uh, Genesis chapter number three, and I just brought this up online rather than trying to create a slide. I actually have a whole lot of uh, notes and it says like slide one, and then it has all this text of what it's going to be in this slide two, all the way through slide like 14 and I never created the slides uh, didn't have time to, to finish uh, to actually that was my last step is actually creating the slides and didn't get a chance to do it so um, you're gonna have to bear with me today I might actually show you my screen so you'll understand what I'm talking about if I show if it says slide 7 you uh, you're wondering like what is that that was supposed to be slide 7 uh, but I might just show you the text in Microsoft Word if at some point I want to bring out a particular point uh, so Genesis chapter number three and it says uh, it's talking about the temptation and fall of man. We're reading in the New King James. When you see King James 2000, that's the New King James version. Uh, and it says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. Now look at this word specifically here, subtle. Uh, that word subtle, uh, you guys kind of know what subtle means. It's, uh, I, I remember in law school, we had uh, what we would call a, um, uh, uh, one. Of, well, so we had to learn the different elements of certain laws and in particular i remember one was embezzlement embezzlement was like stealing or robbery you know there's two classes of stealing you've got robbery you've got uh well there's more than two types but the, for this example you've got robbery and you've got embezzlement right So if you get robbed, everybody knows they got robbed, right? You know, many times at gunpoint, some kind of weapon is used or if nothing else, it's like a strong arm robbery where somebody grabs something from you forcibly, okay? So we all understand robbery and it's just done like, you know, just right in your face. But embezzlement actually can be more dangerous from a a, uh, property standpoint because you don't actually know that the person is taking from you. So embezzlement is something that someone has like rightful access to, but they're misusing it for something that they should not, uh, um, that they don't have permission to use it for. So embezzlement is, for instance, the accountant uh, that is skimming money from the company or the CFO that's supposed to be, you know, uh, managing the finances, but instead he's taking money and putting it in his pocket. These things take a lot more time to uncover because they're done covertly, okay? If, 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 if from a from a purely property standpoint, you'd rather be robbed than embezzled from. Now we understand robbery can contain things like violence, and so uh, obviously there's no possessions worth losing your life over. But what if we're talking about somebody just snatching your person, running uh, from a money standpoint? You ro- you probably rather that happen than to have somebody skimming money from your bank account here and there, or taking money from your IRA or stocks or whatever because you don't actually know that that money is leaving, and the next thing you know, you'll wake up broke and your entire retirement will be gone because somebody was embezzling it little by little because they had this rightful access to it. Somebody robs your house, then you know they've taken what you had right there. But if somebody's embezzling from you, they may be taking a lot more over time uh, and you'll never actually know that this is occurring. So you can't put any safeguards in place, okay? Robbery, you can say, you know what? I'm not gonna do that anymore. I'm not gonna be out walking at night by myself or I'm not going to uh, whatever the case may be to keep you from getting robbed. I'm Carry some pepper spray with me, or you know, I'm going to get some, you know, mace or whatever. Uh, but with embezzlement, you don't know that it's occurring. So that's what this word "subtle." Uh, uh, let your mind go there. Let your mind understand that he was subtle. Now that word "subtle," when you look it up in the Greek, one of the definitions of that word is actually "sensible," which is which is very interesting, right? It's it's a word sensible, and and what it's portraying here uh, is that. Sensible is is something that uh, is done with wisdom or prudence. Okay, and so um, um, another word that 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 word means in the uh, Hebrew is crafty. Okay, so it's clever at achieving one's aims by indirect or deceitful methods. So so let's get all of that in our mind when we're looking now. And it says that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. So so that's just that embezzlement concept, which the Lord God had made. So he had a right to be there. Okay? And and when it's talking about serpent there, we know what a serpent is. We know a snake, it kind of slithers. If you've ever been in the presence of a snake, a snake can be around and you don't know he's there. He's subtle. Snakes kind of sometimes can bite people and they don't actually know that they've been bitten. Uh, We know back in this time before the fall, there wouldn't have been any uh, venom in snakes. But the point was that a snake could be around you and you wouldn't know. So this is what the enemy chose to possess. This is the type of animal that he chose to possess. Was a serpent uh, because it most aligned you know uh, uh, with with his uh, uh, methods of working okay because he wanted to be subtle he wanted to be crappy so here comes this snake slithering alone who knows when Eve even saw the serpent but then all of a sudden he said to the woman yea has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Okay, she got that right. Verse three says, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it. Now, had she stopped right there, and that had been a period and not a comma, we may have been okay. But she says, she goes on to say, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Okay, now if you go back and look in Genesis chapter one and chapter number two, you will see that that was never actually a commandment. This last clause here, neither shall you touch it lest you die, uh, that was not part of the commandment. And in fact, God had told Adam that it was his job to work the garden. It was his job to tend and to keep the garden, which would have included touching that tree, which would have included fertilizing that tree, which would have included uh, tending to that tree. But she's saying here that we shouldn't even touch it lest we die. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, okay, but for God knows that the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as God's knowing good from evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, now here we go, she, so, she, so she begins to make a determination, She's been told a lie to. Somebody has has been crafty with her. He said, well, you won't surely die. Well, yeah, was she going to die as in losing her breath? No. But the separation that was caused between her and God was even more deadly. Uh, But she began to listen to the lie of the enemy, which was occasioned by not knowing the word of God. Okay. We see this same thing play out when Jesus Uh, had fasted 40 days and 40 nights and the enemy came to him but thank God for the second Adam as the scripture calls him he was able to rightly divide the word of truth and give the word to the enemy uh, uh, which was the actual word of God because he was the word as opposed to adding on to the end of this now we'll stop here for a moment because I just want you to understand what happened here because Eve did not know the word the Bible tells us the scripture tells us that the word of God is by the inspiration of God and the whole purpose behind the Word of God is that we as humans are not supposed to add anything to it and we're not supposed to take anything away from it okay it is the Word of God it is perfect in every way and it is not up to us in in our state to try to think that we've got something that we could add to it but this is exactly what the Pharisees did you know they got away from what the spirit of God's word were was and they begin to add to it they begin to take it to the letter of the law so much so uh, that it almost like contra- not contradicted itself but it was it didn't fulfill the purpose in which god had given the law okay and that was what they begin to do So we see here in the book of Genesis, this is where the kind of beginnings of that come from, is just not knowing the Word of God. You hear people misquote the Word of God all the time. Jessica uh, was just telling me earlier this week that she was uh, talking to somebody and they said, uh, uh, they were preaching and they said, uh, you know, money is the root of all evil. And, And she was like, you know, no, it's the love of money. You know, and, 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 and we have to be careful with that kind of thing. Sometimes it's just a mistake and we have a slip and, and we understand that because we're human, right? But when we begin to act as though we know the word of God, but we're actually not giving the correct word of God, we're just going by. Somebody told me one time, they said, you know, the Bible says cleanliness is next to godliness. And I said, OK, um, help me find that one. You know, help me figure out exactly where that one is in scripture, uh, because that's not a scripture. Uh, But we're quick to put things on God because it sounds a little better when we can say the Lord said, right? Uh, This happens all the time, even with people. Um, when, when they're like well you know the Lord told me I'm very careful about saying the Lord told me something I have to know that it really was God because sometimes even if it's a good idea it may be the good sense God gave me but it wasn't that the Lord uh, 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 told me that in some manifest way it was just you know God gives us some smarts and some sense and sometimes we ought to use them um, but Eve was confused about what the Word of God said now we 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 really don't ever find out here whether Eve was confused about the word of god because adam mistold the word of god to her because we don't see where adam you know, spoke with Eve about maybe some things that occurred before she was there, okay? Because Adam and God had some time together because the Bible tells us that if nothing else, Adam named all of the animals as he brought them to them because it says at the end of that that God saw that everybody had a, a mate and it was somebody suitable for everyone except for Adam. So we don't know what happened there. We don't know if Adam was the one who when Eve came on the scene, it was his responsibility to to tell Eve or to learn. Born Eve, or to give Eve this law with regards to this tree that they weren't supposed to eat of. Um um, we, don't, we don't know if that is what is occurring here, or if Eve maybe received the commandment directly from the Lord as well, and then she just decided that, you know what, well, hey, I'm going to put a hedge law, what we call in the Old Testament, they call it hedge laws. In other words, the law might be one thing, so the law might say don't commit fornication, but we are going to say it's actually a law, you shouldn't be hugging your significant other, or, or even giving them any kind of little uh, 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 peck or kiss or anything, because that's going to lead to fornication so we put a hedge law out here to keep you away from the cliff Okay, you think of the sin as the cliff that you fall down. And so we put a hedge here to make sure that you stay away from the cliff. When truthfully, we should have just been educating people about the cliff and let the Lord, uh, let the Lord and the relationship that that person should have with God, help them to decide how close they need to, or how far they need to stay away from this area in order to keep from falling over the cliff. But if it was Adam that told Eve about the tree, then Adam took away the ability for Eve to a certain extent to have relationship with God uh, and to hear from God because he told her more than what the sin actually was and that's what happens when we come to church and we hear the sermon but we don't hear or we don't study the word of god for ourselves that's what happens when we go on youtube and we listen to preachers but we don't open the bible for ourselves that's what happens when we listen to podcasts or we listen to somebody else tell us about god but we don't actually open the book and get into the word of god for ourselves that is where our relationship with god is developed and that's That's why at this church, for me specifically, I don't have convictions that are not in the word of God because that is up up to you as an individual and your individual relationship with God. Now, if you want some good advice, I'll give it to you. Okay, I will give you some good advice. I will tell you what I think is a good idea. I will tell you what I think is a good thing to stay away from sin. But as far as just writing you out a plan and telling you, well, don't do this and don't do this, I'm not going to engage in that with you because other than what the word of God prescribes, I have no business writing any other prescription to you except for what the word of God gives. And even when you look in the Bible, there's some times, you gotta search them out, but there's some times that even with Paul, Paul gives some advice or Paul says some things that are not uh, 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 mandates or word from God one of the things that Paul says is he says you know hey I would for you to stay single you know I think it's a good idea to stay single God never said that God told Adam it's not good for man to be alone he never told us and there's no word that we see in Scripture that that we are to uh, uh, strive to be single or that we should be single. Uh, Now we understand what Paul was saying, you got a whole lot more time, you know, having been a single man, you know, I can tell you that I had a whole lot more time for study and a whole lot more time for prayer when I was single. Um, And and that's what he was going for, but that is not a mandate from God. So we have to be careful, even when we're reading the scripture, even when we're uh, looking through the scripture that we understand, uh, for instance, I heard people say a long time ago, they talked about, uh, you know, uh, raise up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're older, they will not depart. And they would try to use that as a law to say, well, yeah, you know, if your child backslides, then that means you didn't raise them how you were supposed to raise them. You didn't do something right. Well, the, the book of Proverbs are exactly that. They're Proverbs. And what a proverb is, is something that means if you do this, this is what should happen. Okay. If this If you do things this way, then the vast majority of the time, this is what will occur. The book of Proverbs is a book of Proverbs, not a book of promises, okay? But you have to understand that. You have to... uh, be able to understand. The Bible says to study to show yourself approved unto God, okay? The Bible is not something that we should have a cursory understanding of or a passing acquaintance with, okay? Now, now to get to what really sin is, okay, um, I want you to go to the book of Galatians, and I'll put this up here. Did the screen change for you guys there? Uh, did you guys, do you guys see a different screen there or did it stay the same? Okay. All right. So I got to stop the share then and do a new share. So, um, let's see, here we go. All right. So looking here then at Galatians, we got it now, Galatians five. Are you guys looking at that? Okay. All right, so looking here at Galatians 5, this is one of the places I wanted to go to help you all understand uh, what sin is. Not the world standpoint of it where it's just murder and rape, okay? And, and not the, the, the uber-Christian standpoint over or the holier-than-thou standpoint of it where it's if you don't wear a dress or if you don't uh, um, um, uh, do, do this thing exactly the way that we prescribed it or the way that tradition dictated that it should be done. So it says here, now I'm going to see if I move this, if I move that, do you all still see Galatians 5? No, okay. All right. All right. What about now? Again. Okay. All right. I'm going to have to leave it there then, which takes my my uh place to I have to turn my head to this screen. Um, all right. So It'd be good if I spelled fornication right. We'll stop there. Start there, all right? So Galatians 5 and chapter, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, okay, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outburst of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies, Envy, murder, drunkenness, reveries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, now Galatians 5 and 19 through 21. We're gonna spend the rest of our time there because when I say things to you, most of you understand what adultery and fornication are. But when I say uncleanness, you know, you you especially during a pandemic, you might wonder exactly, well, what does that mean? Are we talking about instant hand sanitizer? So we're gonna go through that. We're gonna go through lewdness. We're gonna go through what idolatry really is, which if I can be honest with you, all of these things fall under idolatry, okay? Every, every sin falls under idolatry, but we're gonna talk specifically about what idolatry means. We're gonna talk about sorcery and hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish, ambitious, dissension, heresies, envy. And we're gonna talk about how envy is different from jealousies, okay? And we're going to talk about murder, drunkenness, revelries, which is basically clubbing, okay? We'll just give it to you there. Revelries, that's just basically clubbing, okay? And the like of which I told you beforehand, as I tell you in times past, those who practice these things will not what? Inherit the kingdom of God. All right. So, so those are the kind of things we want to look at. Those are the kind of things we want to understand when we talk about sin is what are these things that are going to keep us from inheriting the, the kingdom or the rulership of God? What is going to keep the rulership of God um, um, from, from, um, from covering or being a part of our life? What is going to keep us out of this kingdom of God uh, uh, or this rulership of God? All right. So, for, so here's slide one. <laughs> All right. It says, the, the first thing I want to go into here is that it says, now the works of the flesh are what? Evident. What does that mean? Evident is a word. It means it's visible. It's apparent. It is clear. You don't have to wonder what the, uh, um, you know, what sin is. Okay. We shouldn't, what sin is should not be a wonder to us. It shouldn't be something that we are unclear on. It is something that the Bible says is evident. Okay, what are the works of the flesh? The works of the flesh are uh, what the deeds of the flesh do, what the unregenerated soul does. Okay, and that word flesh there, it's human nature. So essentially it's saying, well, what comes naturally? This works of the flesh, they're visible, they're apparent. It's the deeds of what come naturally to you. And that word flesh there, interestingly enough, actually means kindred in the same way that a family member, uh, uh, we, we would talk about a family member or kindred. So kindred, what it's saying there, interestingly enough, it's saying, what is, what are those things that are closest to you? What do you do if there is no law of God? What are the things that you carry out and do what naturally, naturally, just like your family is naturally, uh, um, you know, your family, what do you do naturally? What What is your kinfolk? uh you know that thing that is the closest to you and that's what we're talking about here uh, when we talk about the flesh it's right here in you so the first thing let's start here the first thing and the first few things we're going to talk about are sexual immorality now the word sexual immorality here is actually pornea which is where the word pornography comes from and it's talking about fornication or or even uh, the word here that it gives in the Greek is a uh, whoredom. And we don't really use that word a lot, but whoredom. Matter of fact, when I typed whoredom into Microsoft Word, it put a little blue line under it and told me that it would be offensive to my readers. Um, so it's not really a word that we use uh, very much, But but that's what it means. It's talking about fornication. It's talking about Uh, Whoredom and what it is is actually whoredom when you look up that word in the Greek it tells you that it's the equivalent to idolatry because I told you earlier that idolatry uh, it encompasses all of these sins okay so sexual immorality he's telling us we got to stay away from that that root word pornea uh, so anything that is 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 gratifying from a sexual nature uh, but it is done immorally so essentially that covers anything that is done outside of marriage it covers uh, it covers uh, uh, fornication it covers uh, pornography it covers adultery it covers uh, anything that you were doing uh, to please yourself or to to please someone else from a sexual nature outside of marriage okay Uh, and so The next word there is impurity. That would have been the next slide. Impurity uh, or uncleanness. Okay. Now, to understand what uncleanness is, because he's still really going in this same uh, thought process here, even with the next one after this, the next word he uses after that, we're still talking really about sexual immorality. But to get to the root of what the word purity means, let's go. uh, Actually, you know what? I'll just share it because I've got it here in my notes. We're going to look at Romans chapter number one and verse 24 through 25. I'm actually gonna read a little further than that. Um, But let me see here, let's share. Let me share here for a moment. We're going to look at, I think this is the right one. Nope, that's not it. All right, let me share again here. Oh, there we go. Okay. So it says, therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness. Okay. He's talking here about the people who had made up in their mind that they were going to do what they wanted to do. And God got to the point where he had struggled with them long enough that he said, you know what? If this is what you want to do, if this is what you, as a group of people, want to engage in, then it says that he gave them up, or he gave them over to that thing. So the Bible talks about this concept of a conscience, your conscience being seared with a hot iron, and that's what he's getting at here: is that he gave them up to it. Uh, you know, sometimes people, and and some of us, you know, hopefully not us, but but some of us know people who we can look at and say, "Yeah, man, they seen so long, or they did this so long." Uh, that they got to that point where their mind, you know, it was like they just didn't even have a conscience about that thing anymore. And that's what it means when he says that he gave them up To this uncleanliness Uh, they don't even see a problem with it anymore they begin to justify what they're doing so much so that now they have went from a time or from a mind frame of sin to a mind frame of what we call lasciviousness which means that you're so caught up in that thing that is not like God you're so caught up in that sin that that is really going to take nothing but the grace the the, the the unmerited grace and favor of God to reach down and grab you out of that thing because you no longer see a problem with what it is that you're doing. He gave them up. He said, this is what you want, this is what I'm going to give you. He gave them up to uncleanliness and in the lust of their heart to dishonor their body among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped. And that word "worshiped" means reverence, respected or protected in their heart. So they worshiped. And served, and that means, again, to worship. That Now, this word, served, actually, it's not just worship, but it's a worship that is meant only for God, okay? It's a type of worship that is only used in Scripture to talk about God. And it says that they worshiped uh, or reverenced, respected, protected, and served, Use a, a part of them that was only meant to give glory to God, the creature, rather than the Creator. Wow, the creature rather than the creator. So they turned around and worshiped the thing which God had created. And that's really why all worship is wrong because why would you ever worship the creature when you can worship the creator? And then the Bible says, who is blessed forever, used only, uh, of God, again, who's blessed. This this word here is also used only of God. We're not talking about blessed as in, like, I'm blessed, or you blessed, or, you know, God blessed Olu on this morning to this, that, and the other. No, this kind of blessed is only used of God, and it means worthy of praise, okay? And it says forever, amen, okay? Now, uh, it, it almost is like he's ending a prayer there, but let me explain to you what, uh, what a man means. So he says here, let me read through it again. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their mind to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed, uh, who is blessed forever. Amen. What a man means here is it is true, let it be so. It is true. It means two things it's true, and it means to let it be so. Okay, so when he summed that up, he felt the need to put a man there. He said, you know, God gave them up to this uncleanliness. He gave them up to this lust that they had in their hearts. He gave them up to do whatever it was that they wanted to do. And he allowed them to just to worship the creature rather than the creator. And then he says, who's blessed forever. And and, and he says, amen. Now, now to put this a little more clear to you all in 2020 terms, I got to get this right. So y'all can understand what I'm trying to say. I want y'all to understand what Paul was saying here. He said, you didn't got to the point where, you know, you didn't you didn't started worshiping the thing that God created, the thing that God gave you actually to use in a certain way. You didn't started worshiping that rather than the God who provided it. Now, how can God trust you to bless you if you're gonna turn around and worship the thing which he gave you, okay? That thing that you're supposed to use to worship him, you didn't turn around and worship it. He gave you money to worship Him. He gave you money to give to others. He gave you money to take care of your family. He gave you money so that you could give in the offering and, 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 and bless the church and bless other people, bless those that are less fortunate. But instead of you using that money in that way, which would worship God, you're using the money that God gave you. And now you've made that that, that creature or that thing that was created your God. And then he says, and God is blessed forever. Uh, uh, the way that many of us would say that in this uh, this day, especially the, the women they wouldn't say amen. They would say period, okay? Is that how y'all say it? Period, okay? Um, (laughs) So he said that is blessed forever, period, all right? So that is what we're talking about when we're talking about uncleanliness or impurity. He says he gave them up to this uncleanliness. This uncleanliness uh, is is a lust. This uncleanliness is something that is in our hearts. Uh, Yeah, there we go, Cassandra. You gotta put the T at the end of it, period, Okay. Um, you got to pronounce the T is what they say. All right. So he's saying here that, uh, that, that they, they are unclean. Okay. And that's what this impurity is talking about in Galatians 5. All right. So let's go further. Let's go further. The next thing here. Uh, oh, and you know what? Let, let me, let me bring this out real quick. Uh, so it, depending on what version you might be looking at in the scripture uh, in Romans one, it says that they exchanged. Okay who exchange the truth of God for, and then it, it's not a lie, okay? Some some places it says a lie or some um, translations it says a lie, but it's not a lie. It's exchange the truth of God for the lie, for the lie. We're talking about a specific lie. What is that lie? That is the lie of opposites. It's the lie that when God gives you something or that when something is in your life that God has provided for you, That you should not use it for um, the thing, the pure motive that God gave it to you for, but you're supposed to use it for this unclean motive. What am I talking about? God created sex. okay, And then the enemy created fornication and adultery. God created it as something to happen within the confines of marriage and something that was to be enjoyable, what was also supposed to uh, uh, be procreation, and the enemy turned it into something evil. God created money as a way to be able to uh, give and help people, uh, and, and as a system or an economy, and the enemy turned it around and used people to love that money and to turn that thing around. So pretty much any sin you can think of, there is an opposite to that thing that is holiness. It's something that God created and intended to be a good thing, and the enemy turned it around and made it what? Into the lie. Okay, that big overarching lie. And when you look that word the up, it actually says in the Greek that it's a definite article, which means it is to introduce something that implies that the thing mentioned has already been mentioned or is common knowledge. Okay. So we're talking about the lie, the lie of who? The lie of the enemy. Okay. Next word, sensuality. Okay, sensuality. And that word is an outrageous conduct. It's conduct shocking to public decency in an effort to please your senses. Okay, it's sensuality. It's an outrageous conduct, something that is shocking to public. Okay, uh, and I think that's enough to kind of go into that. You know, that may not be something that you all uh, necessarily hear about every day, but there are some people there that have certain addictions and 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 problems and issues, and, and sometimes sensuality is something that they deal with it's it's this outrageous conduct we all know these like overly sexual individuals sometimes uh who say things it's like all they're joking and things are coarse joking and they're always talking about something uh and and saying things that that really should not be said or should not be mentioned uh and taking private things and, and talking about it as jokes or making crude or or coarse jokes okay that's sensuality now the next word here is idolatry and that is the worship of an image, or the service to an image. Uh, Now, this is what's so funny about that word idolatry. Idolatry means worshiping an image. Worshiping an image. Worshiping an image. What is an image? An image is a representation of something, but it's not the real thing. So, So you're worshiping something that is an image of something, but it doesn't actually exist. Let's go back to one of the first places that we see worship. The children of Israel came out of Egypt. They took all the gold and the plunder that the Egyptians gave to them that the Lord allowed them to have. And when and when Moses was gone a little bit too long, they pulled all of these things together. Again, remember that God had gave them. They pulled it together and they made what the Bible calls a, um, a golden image, okay? Or a, a golden calf okay, Uh, a golden calf, and they begin to worship it. Now, what did this golden calf represent? It was a representation of financial security. It was a representation of financial security. But guess what? It wasn't the real thing. Money in itself is not financial security. Why? Because the Bible says that God can blow his breath. And literally all your money will be gone tomorrow. All of the hope that you put into the possessions that you have, that possession that you have is actually just a representation of financial security. It's not actual financial security. Only true financial security can be found where in God. So anything that you have that you put any kind of trust in, anything that you have that you put any kind of faith in can only be a representation of security can only be a representation of comfort. It can't be the real thing because only God provides real things. The enemy provides counterfeits. Now think about this, how crazy would it be? Let me find this, I'm gonna share again. How crazy would it be, and I'm gonna put Jessica on blast for a quick minute. How crazy would it be if I just took this picture and I like all day long, I was just like, oh, my wife, she's just so beautiful oh man i just love her she's just so amazing she's just so pretty and and i looked at this picture but i stayed here at the office i just i didn't come home right you know now the real thing is at home but but i'm just looking at the image you know i'm giving you a silly example because i want you to understand how stupid this is how dumb idolatry is how stupid and dumb sin is because all it is is dylan got his mouth open we don't let them say stupid and dumb and he's like oh. but um but but how silly that is because I'm sitting here looking at a picture or an image of her, but I got the real thing at home. But I'm so caught up with the representation of her, but I've got the ability to have and to get into the actual thing. And that's what happens in, with, with, with God is that we allow the things that God provides to take our mind away from true relationship with God. So now we have put another God before him. And the reason that's always wrong is because there's nothing that is above him. So if we're putting anything before him that is not rightfully above him, if we're putting anything before him, because the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, they and all that dwell within, we know that God owns everything, God created everything. So if we are in a position where we are worshiping something or putting something before God in our life, putting before something something before God in our conduct, putting something before God, we're waking up, we don't give any mind or any idea or time toward God, but we're just already thinking about, Oh, let me check my banking app and make sure I got paid this morning. Let me see if that bill came through. Uh, Let let, let me check Facebook and see who commented on that post that I made last night. Let me get up and start making these kids lunch. And we haven't even acknowledged the fact that God woke us up and he said, you are off to a start in the morning of, of, of worshiping the things that I have given you. Uh, taking care of the children that I have given you. But if it wasn't for me, there would be no children. If it wasn't for me, there would be no bank account. If it wasn't for me, there'd be no lights. If it wasn't for me, there'd be no cell phone for you to pick up and check your social media or to check your text messages and to seeing what's going on. But no, 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 no. What you have to understand is that you can't be in the position of Romans 1 where you are worshiping the creator other than the thing that was created. Now, if you want to talk about sin and you want to understand that sin still exists, what you have to understand is that sin is not a problem of what you do, but sin is a problem of who you worship. Sin is not a problem of what you do, but sin is an issue with who you worship. Who's on the throne of your life? And and if you really give yourself a chance to think about it, I think you'll have to answer with saying that many times in life, the person or the thing that is on the throne of your life is you. And and many times getting a closer relationship with God comes down to one thing, dethroning King me. Okay, because I want to sit on the throne of my life because I want to do what I want to do. And I want to say what I want to say. And I want to go where I want to go. And I don't want anybody to stop me. I want to do what feels good to me. But if you have you sitting on the throne of your life, then there is no room for God on that throne. And that is the ultimate scene. The sin of idolatry, the sin of sitting on a throne that God is supposed to sit on. Okay, so that is idolatry. Now, if it wasn't for Jessica, this picture wouldn't exist. But if I keep looking at this image and I just think about how wonderful she is and think about how much I love her and I never go home to her, then I have engaged in idolatry even when it comes to her. So when we look at the things that God provides, but we never take the time to worship the God who provided them, to serve the God who provided them, then we are engaging in idolatry. Okay, we miss church because it's a nice day and we want to go out and we want to do this, that or the other. We want to go to the park or we want to do whatever. It took a while, you know, church was full in the beginning. It took a little while, but now we found some quarantine things to do. So now, now we maybe not, uh, we don't worry about coming to Bible study the way that we used to come to Bible study. We don't worry about logging in on time for church because what we got other things to do. OK, we're sitting on the throne of our own life. We got our own thought processes and the things that we feel like that we want to do and we want to get accomplished. And we need to grocery shop and we've got to run errands. But you have to realize that anything that you have put in front of God, now you have created an idol. And that is the first and the ultimate sin. All right. All right. Let's move on to the next one. The next one is sorcery. The next one is sorcery and that word sorcery comes from a word pharmakia okay pharmakia and that's where we get the word pharmacy okay because sorcery has to do with the use of medicines drugs and we say or spells now before you uh, uh, uh get rid of your primary care physician you know let me explain to you that we're not talking about pharmakia or pharmacy uh we're talking about medicine uh used in such a way to try to uh uh uh, alter someone's behavior uh or or to 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 think spells or magic or sorcery or enchantment okay but but i'm going to be honest with you that is one reason that we've got to be careful on just getting on a new medicine for everything that happens in our life, because one of the purposes of medicine is to change, especially when you're talking about behavioral and cognitive medicines. You know, sometimes you need to take control of your mind because the Bible says that God has given you the 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 not the spirit of fear, but the power of what? Of love and of a sound mind and sometimes you need to claim that you have a sound mind and not just go get on medications for what's going on with you i know i could have probably had a doctor describe me prescribe me some medicine for ADD a long time ago adhd whatever because my attention span is many times like that i'm like here there i'm trying to multitask but i'm just like a little knack just jumping from one thing to the next but no i choose to take control of my mind and say i've got a sound mind i'm gonna sit here And I'm going to get this thing done that I need to get done. I don't need any pharmacy medications uh, uh, in order to help me to concentrate. Now, I'm not shunning that. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. But what I am saying is that when you go to the pharmacy before you go to God, then there's a problem. If you went and got new medication, but you haven't spent time in prayer about the issue that you're having, then there's an issue. Even if you pop in Tylenol or Advil and you never prayed and said, Lord, please relieve me of this headache, that is still an issue. The first thing that we ought to be doing is taking the problem to God, okay? Now God has given us some wonderful medical professionals uh, and some wonderful pharmacists in this day and age that there are some times that we do need to go and get certain things, but if you're relying on it without ever bringing it to God, then even your medications that you that you got legally from Walgreens that are sitting in your counter in in, uh, in your um uh, in your uh bathroom um behind the mirror, what do you call it? I don't know, but it's sitting in your uh, medicine cabinet. That's what I was trying to say. Sitting in your medicine cabinet, and even those things can be idols if we're depending on that before we took that thing to God. Okay. Um, the next word he uses here is uh, he talks about enmity, okay, enmity, um, and and it's 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 talking about hostility, it's talking about alienation, and it's literally translated, and I really don't get this, but the best that I can understand is actually translated. The word that is translated is the word yesterday, okay. That It's literally translated yesterday. Uh, And I believe, honestly, that the reason that it's translated yesterday is because one of the things that it talks about is alienation, okay? Uh, So somebody that has enmity, they've got enmity between them and someone else. There's a hostility. You don't like that person. You know, there's a hostility between you and them. And then what happens? We alienate that person. Uh, So yesterday represents a distance. In other words, you just left that person in your past. You don't want to have nothing to do with them. You ain't got nothing to say to them. But guess what? That person is still a child of God, okay? And so sometimes we will get to that place where we'll just say, well, you know what? I'm sick of them, and I'm through with them, and I ain't going to have nothing else to do with them. And, and, and that is that should not be our go-to. Some of us have been become too comfortable with just cutting people off. You know, somebody cross you, somebody make you angry, you just cut them off. Well, no, that is that is not what God is intending for us to do. And we'll talk in a moment about what he actually intends for us to do because that is coming up here. Okay, in the next one, it talks about strife. Now, what is strife? Strife is contention. It's argument. It's trouble. It's conflict. It's discord. You see how we're getting a theme here? Okay, he's giving us things. He First, he's talking about things like sexual immorality. Then he goes into idolatry. And then now he's going into... Uh, um fighting and quarrels and contentions and those kind of things. And we're getting a few words now to understand those things. So strife, contention, he's talking about arguments, okay? These are the works of the flesh. These are the things that are that are intimate to ourselves. We looked at that word flesh earlier, if you weren't here, and the word flesh meant uh, kindred spirit. It's a kindred thing. It's something that's close to you. It's what you do when you don't avail yourself of 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 god when you don't avail yourself and allow yourself to be in relationship with god it is the default of your unregenerated soul that's what your flesh is and and in your flesh is is contentions that's what your flesh works it works arguments it works strife trouble discord okay now um what the scripture tells us is that Uh, In Romans 12 and 18, it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, I like the way that he says this here, because he says, if it is possible, Uh, because, you know, sometimes when you get to that far right that we talked about where the holier than thou folks, you know, they'll let people just walk all over them. And treat them bad and, 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 and treat them uh, uh, like everything but a child of God because, you know, well, we don't want no strife or contention. And it's like, well, no, because sometimes there, it may be the other person. Now, now I'm not into pointing fingers, but what you need to understand is that there are some times where you have tried with all that you can to live in peace with somebody and, and it just has not been possible. And Paul recognizes that, and he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, that's Romans 12 and 18, uh, for those of you taking notes or that want that reference. Now, why do I bring that up? I bring that up because it's important for you to understand the difference between humbling yourself and when you need to go to someone else and tell them, look, you know, I have tried everything I could to try to live in peace with you. But everything uh, every time I do that, there's enmity between you and I, and there's this hostility and i'm trying I'm, I'm trying not to because I don't want to go to this idea of alienation or cutting you off, but I'm tired of the arguments and the strife and the trouble and the conflict and maybe you need to bring somebody in to be able to mediate that thing, okay But we need to understand because the Bible tells us that it is our duty, nobody does this anymore, but it is our duty that when there is an issue between you and your brother that you are to go to them and talk to them or try to work this thing out. And if they won't receive you, the Bible says, then go and grab some more people to come with you. And and almost like what we would call today an intervention, okay, to talk to that person and say, look, you know, these are the things that are going on. These are the things that is happening here, and, and and the Bible tells us not to do that. And then the Bible says that if they don't receive that, then just bring them to the whole church. Bring it to the pastor. Bring it to the church at large, and then you alienate the person if that's what has to be done in order that peace can be there. But see, we don't we don't use those scriptures. We don't talk about that stuff anymore, okay? Now, I want to bring up one more thing about that word contention or strife. It's a word eris, E-R-I-S in the Greek, eris, okay? And it's the same word that is used in 1 Corinthians 1 and 11. Now, I bring that up because if you were here for Bible study on Wednesday night, we talked about, uh, we talked about how people back in Corinth were starting to divide themselves based on who had baptized them. You know, well, I was baptized of Paul. Well, I was baptized of Apollos. Well, you know, uh, I don't know about you, but Peter baptized me, and they started to have contentions among them about stuff that didn't matter, and that's really what the root of contentions are. The root of the word contention is to be highly, uh, uh, um, to be highly aggravated about something that actually doesn't matter. Okay. And what they were doing back then in the church at Corinth is they were splitting into what we would call today different church organizations based on who had baptized them. Now they were all baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they begin to lean on or depend on who had baptized them. Well, I'm better than you because Paul baptized me, and you know Paul got knocked out on the Damascus road, and the Lord spoke to him on the Damascus road, and he was knocked off his beast, and he was blind, and then the you know he, the Peter came to him and, and began to talk to him, and the guy gave him insight. And you know Peter, he's anointed, and see Peter is the one. Peter is the one who baptized me because see Peter he walked with Jesus, and you know Peter was the first person to baptize because on Acts. In Acts two, he 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 the one who stood up and began to preach. And the day of Pentecost, well, you know John baptized me. Now you know John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. So you know I don't care nothing about what y'all got to say, but I know John was the one who baptized me. And when he put his hand on my head and took me under water, I felt the Holy Ghost. No, 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 no. That is not that is not the point. We are to live together. Okay, there is one church but they were allowing contentions to divide them into different organizations within the one church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, did I die for your sins? Did Paul die for you? Did Peter die for you? No, you were all baptized into the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why we have to be careful with strife and contentions between our brothers and sisters and fighting and quarrels between our brothers and sisters because that is not a part of living in unity. Okay, that is not a part of living in unity. Okay, that is a part of pride. All right, let's go to the next one. He talks about jealousy, jealousy. And that word jealousy there, that actually uh, the root word of jealousy, it talks about being zealous. And the, the root word or the word there in the Greek is zelos. Zelos, okay. And it means to be angry or annoyed, provoking, provoked by preserving yourself As being, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, being angry or annoyed, provoked by perceiving yourself as being treated unfairly, okay, Uh, a a, a rivalry, okay, that's what that word jealousy means, it means to be angry or annoyed, you're provoked because you you perceive yourself, at least perceive yourself as being treated unfairly, and so you're jealous of your neighbor because, you know, y'all did the same thing and they got a better result. Okay, y'all, y'all did things the same way, and it seemed like they ended up uh, uh, getting a better result. The next one, he talks about is outburst of anger, but even that jealousy has to do with anger. Okay, has to be do with being angry or annoyed because you feel like you should have got what somebody else got, and they got it, and you didn't get it, and now there's this rivalry going on between the two of you. Because, and, and see, a lot of times the thing about jealousy and rivalry is it doesn't show on the surface as contention. It doesn't show on the surface as strife. It doesn't show on the surface as enmity or hostility you know y'all smile at each other but you know you in private competition with that person sometimes the other person don't even know that you are in competition with them or that you're jealous of them you try to do what you can to get more than they got or to do better than they have okay but he says that that even jealousy that is something that is a sin even if it looks okay on the surface that is one of the works of the flesh We're not gonna go much into the next one because I think everybody kind of understands that what an outburst of anger is, okay? We all know some people like that. And speaking of medication, sometimes we think those people maybe need to be the ones that are on medication because they just, they seem like a good person, seem like they're nice and everything. But then all of a sudden, uh, I heard uh, somebody at one point, they were talking about the uh, Wizard of Oz and they said they knew somebody that was like, uh, the good witch and the bad witch. And it was like, you didn't know which one you was going to get that particular day. You might get the real nice one. That was the good witch. And then you might get the wicked witch of the West. Um, but but that's an outburst of anger. You just don't know what you're going to get. They are just got all this stuff pooled on the inside. All of a sudden, just, ugh, and just attack everybody. Okay. The next word there, we're still in this same, uh, uh, still in this same place here. We're in verse number 21. Uh, I'm sorry, we're still in verse number 20, excuse me. Uh, And he talks here, the next word he uses here, he talks about contentions. Now, we've already talked about contentions, but we're going back to contentions or what the New King James Version said is is contentions, okay? Uh, Contentions, uh, uh, contentions or dissensions. Dissensions is the word, excuse me, that it uses in the New King James Version. It's dissensions. And dissensions um, or uh, contentions, uh, we'll kind of do take those in turn together. Uh, contingence is the seeking of followers and adherence by means of gift. The seeking of followers, hence ambition or selfish ambition. It's a self-seeking. And now this one is interesting because you all know people like this, right? You They, they do something that ain't right and then they start calling people. Let me tell you what happened. And they want to see whose side you're going to take, right? and they kind of they kind of stroke your ego or you know maybe they're real nice to you or whatever but they're really trying to just kind of get you on their side let me tell you what such and such did now you tell me if i'm wrong <laughs> i love that one right we didn't all use that we know if we honest we didn't all use that one right you you get mad at somebody or you get mad at something like they said let me tell you what happened now you tell me if i'm wrong now you know well, you don't want them to tell you if you're wrong and you put that you tell them that story and you sugarcoat it so uh because but that's contentions okay that's what the word contentions means it means that you are seeking followers or adherence to uh to 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 your way of thinking okay you're trying to pull people away from this main way of thinking and in that day what they were probably talking about uh, is trying to pull people away from what the word of god said with your own particular Paint on what the word of God said, okay? That was contentious or what we call, what the scripture calls a selfish ambition. A selfish ambition is uh, actually, and, I, and I'm sorry, in the New King James Version, that's the way it's rendered, it's selfish ambition. That's where we are, selfish ambition okay and it is a, a self-seeking okay it can also still mean a rivalry but you're trying to pull somebody away it's not a rivalry as a one-on-one you're trying to pull people away from from this main way of thinking or, or what the gospel says or maybe what the preacher is preaching from the word of god and you're pulling them away okay from that into your way of thinking okay you got your own selfish ambition you're trying to create a a a, a division okay the, word, the next word, again, that's the work of the flesh, all right? The next word is dissension. Dissension, and that's the way it says it in the New King James Version. And dissension means to stand apart from. Uh, dissension means to divide. It's used as divisions which wrongly separate people into pointless, groundless factions, okay? So this goes back to 1 Corinthians 1 and 11. He says, you know, I hear that it's contentions or dissensions arising among you because y'all are separating yourselves based on things that don't matter. You're standing apart from each other. You've got different church organizations, you know, because you know, well, we wear these fancy hats and these pretty robes and, you know, y'all don't wear them robes and, you know, we want to wear big nice robes and y'all don't wear them robes and so we're going to pull off from y'all and we're going to have our own set or we going to have our own way of thinking. Well, you know what? We like to wear the little things on our head and y'all don't wear the things on y'all head. And you know, we feel like everybody ought to wear the 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 doilies on their head and y'all don't wear them. And so we're gonna pull away from y'all and start our own organization. Well you know what we believe that you know, a woman, you know, can't wear this particular thing. And, you know, if she put a earring in her ear, then, you know, we're we going to pull away from y'all because we don't believe in that kind of stuff. But we have to go back to rightly dividing the word of truth. And even when it comes to things that people will try to say are scripturally based or are scripturally sin, like things like tattoos or ear piercings, you have to go back to the Old Testament and understand what they were talking about. They were talking about branding themselves unto false gods. They were talking about piercing their ears because that was a sign of who owned you okay but if we want to get into that stuff then we also got to get into wearing cloth like polyester and we got to get into things like eating pork because they couldn't eat that back then we got to get into all of those kind of things because and and i don't have the time to teach the kind of bible study that needs to be taught with regards to what sin really is compared to what people took from the old testament and made it into their own doctrine but this is the kind of thing that causes dissension okay and then people don't even understand what sin is uh but sin is 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 dissension what many of us are doing by, by separating ourselves because we can't fellowship with this person because they got an earring in their ear, okay? And you don't realize that the dissension that you're causing from something like that is more sin than the earring that the person has in their ear. I'm not telling you to go out and get tattoos. I'm not telling you to go out and get your ears pierced. I'm not telling you to get no, no crazy tattoos and get nothing on your neck. But what I'm saying to you is that I want you all to understand what is sin. And then I want you to make your own decision about what you're going to do or how close you're going to get to that edge. But see, I've got to teach you what the Holy Ghost is. And I've got to teach you what the Spirit of God is. And once I teach you those things, then you will be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And you will be able to understand that, you know what? Maybe if the edge is over here, maybe I don't want to go that far. But guess what? That's a decision that happened between me and God, not between me and what the preacher told me to do. Not between me and what my mama told me to do not between me and what my daddy told me to do and the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall what it shall make you free okay so, so that dissension, it's a dissension that's caused by pride. It's a dissension that's caused by tradition. It's a dissension that's caused by me doing what I want to do or telling people what I want to do because it's the way that I'm used to doing things. And so now I am willing to alienate myself over something that is pointless, over something that God is not concerned with. And I've done what? I've now turned myself into a Pharisee because I've got pride about my deeds and about my works more pride about my works than I have about the fact that I'm saved by grace. i got more pride about my works and that I'm keeping my nose squeaky clean than I've got pride about the fact that but for the mercy and the grace of God, I would be in a worse situation than what you are in, that I'm looking at you for. I've got more pride about the fact that I can say what I have not done than I do about the fact that God saved a sinner like me. If you're gonna have pride in anything, if you're gonna boast in anything, boast in the word of God. If you're gonna have pride about anything, have pride and boast about the fact that you are saved by grace. If you're gonna have pride, if you're gonna boast about anything, boast about the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And don't start trying to cause dissensions and contentions. And and next we go to heresies. Heresies is what we call a self-chosen opinion. That's literally what it means. A heresy is a self-chosen opinion, a religious or philosophical sect, okay? So heresies has to do with this moral code that you have come up with yourself it's something that you feel like people shouldn't do and so now you have made this absolute and you've made a law out of it and if people don't do this then that person ain't saved okay now this person ain't saved because of this 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 philosophical uh, idea that you have or this religious idea that you have but the Bible says pure religion is undefiled to feed the widows and the orphans but we're not talking about that we're not talking about the last time that you adopted a child from overseas we're not talking about the last time that you took care of a widow or an orphan. We're talking about how long your skirt is. And we're talking about the fact that that that, that you can't, you know, wear certain things or you can't look a certain way, or you can't have a, a glass of wine. And we're gonna get to that in a minute, okay? I'm not telling you to go drink. I'm not telling you to go drink, but what I am telling you is that the Bible does not call it a sin. I got to tell you the truth, and the truth will set you free, and I've got enough faith to believe that you're not gonna go buy a six-pack tonight just because you figure out it's not sin. Let's be truthful, but let's be wise, okay? And we're going to get to that in a minute because drunkenness is coming up. But heresies have to do with you having a self-chosen opinion. It's not based on the word of God. It's based on what you think is good. It's based on what you think is, is pure. It's based on what you think is religious, okay? And and, and it has to do with I prefer or I choose okay it's my conviction that okay when you start saying things like that that's a heresy okay let's break it down for what it is i'm sorry i don't want to hurt your feelings I don't want to take you out of the spirit. I don't want to uh, uh, shake up what you've been taught by your, by your teacher or your preacher, but I got to preach the word of God the way that it is, okay? And if you want to fact check me, please do. Go all through Galatians chapter 5 and go look these words up in the Greek and see am I not giving you the exact definition for what Paul was saying was going on in the Galatian church. These people had self-chosen opinions and they begin to say, well, you know, I'm circumcised, so I'm better than you are. And I'm not circumcised, so I'm better than you are. Well, I drink wine with my meal, so I'm better than you are. Well, I don't eat certain meats and I only eat vegetables, so I'm better than you are. And he was saying, cut it out. Cut it out. Okay? because that is more sin than anything you eat or don't eat. That contention and that strife is more sin than anything that you do or don't do. Okay, he was very clear in the beginning here about what sin was, and he talked about it. He says sexual immorality, okay? It's fornication, it's adultery, okay? And we know that there are many other things, but stop making up sin, saints. Stop making up sin based on what your tradition is or what you feel like is sin, okay? Now, if there's certain things you don't wanna do, that's great, okay? And you may be in a level in God that somebody coming behind you is not in. But some things are not about sin, some things are about maturity. And you have to let somebody get in church and become mature. You've got to catch a fish before you can skin it. Now, and for those of you that thought that that was a scripture, that's not a scripture either. All right, all right. But you've got to catch a fish, the thought process is true. You've got to catch a fish before you can skin a fish. And some things are about maturity and not about salvation. All right, so so that is what heresies is. That's what heresies is. Then it goes in verse number twenty-one. We finally made it to verse twenty-one. It talks about envy. It talks about envy. So he's getting away from contentions, uh, dissensions, heresies, and now he goes to envies. But we're still kind of in the same thing here because he says envies is a feeling of discontentedness or resentfulness. It's a longing aroused by someone else's possessions or qualities. It's grudges it's spite Uh, and spite is a desire uh to annoy offend or to hurt someone that's what envies are now i told you i'd tell you the difference between envies and jealousy jealousy says That's not fair. You know, you're in rival with this person. That's not fair. Think of the two neighbors. You know, they're trying to rival, you know, who got the better lawn, okay? Who got the better grass or who got the nicer car or who who got the most beautiful house inside and out. That's jealousy. They're going back and forth. They're rivaling. They're trying to keep up with the Joneses. And it says that jealousy says, well, you know, I want to have something like what they have. They got a pretty lawn, so I want a pretty lawn. They got a pretty outside house so now i'm gonna make my house pretty outside but envy is different envy if it's not careful envy can bring about violence because what envy says is not that i want something like theirs envy says i want that i want what they have and if you're not careful it brings in that that uh, that idea of spite which is a desire to annoy offend or hurt someone to get what that person has and that's the difference between envy And uh, the difference between envy and jealousy. The other thing that is dangerous about envy, Jesus, help us today. The other thing that is dangerous about envy is that if you are not careful, envy will bring you to lust. Envy will bring you right back around to lust. Why is that? Because if you look at something that someone else has for too long of a time, then your envy will begin to turn to lusting after what they have, okay? You, You want what they got. You want to look like that. You want to be like that. And now you've allowed envy to set up. And envy, when it sets up shop and begins to to grow and to blossom, it turns into lust in your heart. And I truly believe that that is is where, and we're not going to go into, it's after two o'clock, so I'm not going to get deep into this. But this is something that we may need to talk about one day, because if you really want to know the truth, envy is really times the root of homosexuality envy can be the root of homosexuality because you take someone who has low self-esteem and then that person begins to compare themselves in jealousy to what somebody else has and they begin to try to work for that and they begin rivaling that that thing turns into envy and then envy because they want what that person has because they haven't been able to attain that and their low self-esteem tells them that they're not enough Now that jealousy turns into envy, that envy begins to blossom and it turns into lust. My God. And then they think that, well, you know what, I guess this just me must be how I am. It's a trick of the enemy. And we know the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that sin, when it is full grown, brings about death or separation from God. But we don't have time to go into that today. We don't have the time to go into that today because we still got to get to drunkenness. All right, now I'm gonna share my screen again for drunkenness because this is one that I need you guys to really be here with me on. Now, you know, I'm I'm not in any way, shape, or form. Please understand me. I am not inviting anyone to go have a drink tonight by telling you guys or showing you guys that that having a drink is not a sin. That is not, and it's it's almost like it almost pains me to tell you this because I know somebody gonna say, "Well, my pastor said." Well, you know what? Your pastor also told you to use some wisdom, okay? And wisdom many times means not having the drink at all. But let me show you what we're going to do a quick, a little quick insight into what it means to to be drunk, okay? And then we're going to talk for a minute uh, about drunkenness as opposed to drinking. Now, drunkenness means deep drinking. That's what the word actually means in the Greek. It means deep drinking. It's a state of being intoxicated. Now, sometimes y'all see me doing like this. When I do like this, this is how I see you. You guys are here. Okay, y'all see me here. So when I keep looking like this, I'm looking at y'all, okay? For those of you whose camera I can see. I'm trying to keep it this way because I know it's a little distracting if I'm constantly doing like this, but this is where my screen is, where I see you, all right? So it's a deep state of drinking or a state of being intoxicated. Now, let me share this screen with you here. Um, Let's see, Uh, I believe it's here. Did you guys see, do you guys see the one that says slide 15? Okay, good. So drunkenness is a deep drinking or a state of uh, being intoxicated. Okay. Now, Here's a couple things. This is these things here that are in bold. This is what these are the points that I want to take. So I just told you, OK, having a glass of wine is not a sin. OK, Yep, I just told you that. But then these are the things that I want to underline and talk about for a minute so that we don't get uh, unclear on on what's going on here. Now, the Bible forbids drunkenness. OK, in Galatians 5 and 21, which we just read, uh, Romans 13 and 3, we won't read these, but I, I want you uh, to know these. And then first Peter 4 and 3 okay? The Bible forbids drunkenness, okay? The Bible forbids drunkenness, okay? Now, the Bible forbids drinking if it offends fellow believers, okay? So again, we need to see and understand that. The Bible also forbids drinking if it offends fellow believers. And it doesn't tell us to just hide it, you know? It don't say, well, you know, just hide it and you know, just make sure you do it when they're not around, you know? And if you do that, then, you know, you will be all right. No, it tells us that if it offends fellow believers, that it's something that, you know, we should really think about just not doing at all because we, at the end of the day, the main concept here is that we are all one in Christ. We all are one in Christ and we don't want to offend somebody else. So that's Romans 14. Read that in its entirety. And then it's 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Read that in its entirety. But I'm going to read to you part of Romans. It's Romans 14. Okay. Romans 14 and verse 14 through 21. I'll read that to you really quickly. And it says here, it says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Okay. Now he said there's nothing unclean of itself. He's talking about all these things that the old, uh, that these, you know, I say Old Testament, but they're really in the New Testament, but they're clinging on to Old Testament principles. And there's a lot of things that they were saying are sin, or they're not sin, or whatever. And and so Paul comes in here, and he's saying, hey, you know, really, nobody's wrong. You know, he said, I know that I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus Christ that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him, it is unclean. So that goes to the standpoint of, well, you know what, if you've got a conviction about it, and it don't feel right to you, if you've been raised in a certain way, And, you know, let's say, for instance, drinking alcohol is something that you just like, Ooh, that's just a sin. I don't want to have nothing to do with it. Then then what he's saying here in the scripture, uh, 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 anointed and appointed by God, he's saying if that is the way you feel, then don't get out of your comfort zone with something like this. Okay. Stay in your comfort zone. Now, don't judge other people. And say that, well, you know, uh, that one church, you know, they ain't saved because, you know, I saw one of them and they was having a glass of wine. You know, now now that may not be good if that's causing somebody to stumble. But don't you go judging them and saying they're not saved because they're doing something outside of your comfort zone. But but he says for you, you stay inside your comfort zone, though. Don't go like, well, it ain't sin, so I'm just going to try it out. Now, if you have made it this far without it, don't go turn around now and, and, and start trying to take it up. You know, if your conscience is against it, let your conscience stay against it and stay where you are and don't do that thing, okay? He says in verse 15: Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. It has to do with love, he said has to do with love. If you know, and I've heard stories, horror stories about pastors that, you know, were out and they were having a drink of, you know, having a glass of wine with their meal. They weren't drunk. You know, they weren't, they weren't out, you know, uh, 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 living crazy or, you know, standing on top of tables or slurring their speech. But I remember specifically there was a story where this guy, he saw his pastor doing that. And when he saw his pastor doing it, he said, well, if he can do it, I can do it. But the thing about this man is he had been a drunk. And he was, he was okay now and he had amassed a lot of wealth and had become a, a really blessed man. And that night he ordered a drink and they sent him on a 10-year binge looking at what somebody else was doing. And he lost all of the millions of dollars that he had and went down, 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 down. Why? Because he was looking at what somebody else was doing. And who was wrong there? The pastor was wrong and the member was wrong because the member shouldn't have been looking to nobody but the word of God, no one or no thing, but the word of God for what he was going to do or how close he was going to get to that edge of sin. And the pastor should have been more careful because even though what he was doing may not have been sin, if it was going to cause his brother to stumble, then he shouldn't have been doing it, okay? All right, so verse 16 says, therefore do not let your good be evil spoken of for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue, let us pursue the things which uh, make for peace and the things which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food, for all things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak, okay? All right. That was Romans 14. And then the last one is if the Bible forbids drinking, if it hinders the gospel, that's 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 19 through 23. You can read that one as well. Okay, so I wanted to deal with that because we were talking about drunkenness. We can go back to Galatians so that we can wrap things up here. Uh, we're ready to we're ready to really uh, bring it home. We're back in Galatians chapter five. And the next thing that he talks about, uh, he talks about envies and then he talks about murders. You know, we kind of understand that. I hope that you all understand uh, what murders are. We skipped over that one, but we understand what murders are. Uh, and then he talks about rivalries. OK. And it's a word, komos, which is feasting, reveling or carousing. OK. And as I told you in the beginning, what that word means, that word means, you um, That word means partying, okay? Partying or and or, uh, as we would say, clubbing, all right? Um, Now, I wanna skip down in Galatians. We're gonna skip over the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, Well, we won't skip over them. Let's go ahead and read them, but we're not gonna go into all of them. Uh, But it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. So we're talking about the opposites there. But what I really want to bring your attention to here in closing, it says, and those who are Christ have crucified what? The flesh. So we talked about the works of the flesh, but he says that those that are in Christ have crucified the flesh. Okay. So the flesh is dead. All right. That's the only hope we have for being able to do any of these things that's in this scripture. The only hope we have is that the flesh is crucified, okay? Uh, With its passions and desires, and verse 25 says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, I'm sorry, provoking one another, envying one another. If we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. Bible says walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill what? The lust of the flesh. Walking in the spirit means walking in the word of God. Walking in the spirit means walking according to this written word of God. Walking in the spirit means doing the things of God. And he says that we have crucified or have put to death the flesh and all of its evil passions or desires. And that is why we are able to put to death that kindred, okay, that kindred flesh, that flesh that is so close to us. How is it that we are able to live beyond that? You know, I talked to you guys before, there's a law of gravity, but then there's also something that they call the law of lift and the law of lift defies gravity. The law of lift is what planes use to take off and get above the ground. And, and all that hunk of metal, all of that, that heaviness and that muddle should just sink and bam, hit the ground. But the law of gravity has to give way to this law of lift, which is that when a certain force is exerted, those jet engines get to going, that it lifts it up, okay? It lifts it up above gravity. And it's not that gravity is no longer there, but there's a higher power at work. And that higher power allows you to, in a sense, defy gravity. And that is what God wants us to do through the higher spirit, which is the spirit of God. We are to use the spirit of God, crucify the flesh, and we are to defy the flesh with the law of the spirit, to live above the works of the flesh. Amen? Amen. And you guys know I didn't spend a lot of time on that because you guys know this is relationship church. So that's what we always talk about. We always talk about relationship. We always talk about defying the things of the enemy by what? Not trying not to do them, but by submitting ourselves to God. We submit ourselves to God. Now we still have to preach the works of the flesh because the enemy is still gonna come to you, even when you're doing the works of God. He's still gonna be that serpent that comes in the garden and, and, and tries to bring certain things to you. But you have to have the understanding and the know-how to know the word of God, to know what the word of God says not to do, to know what real sin is so that you're not just parroting what somebody else told you. You're not just parroting what your husband Adam said about uh, what God said, but you know the word of God for yourself. So when the enemy comes, just like Jesus did to the enemy in the garden, you are able to say that thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You are able to say, man shall not eat my bread alone because we know the word of God, not just what some man taught us and we took their word for it, but we have searched the scriptures and heard from God for ourselves so that we are able, amen, to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, amen, amen. All right, God bless you. I just wanted to to make that clear with regards to sin. There's a lot of scriptures that we could go to uh, for things like that and to talk about sin, Uh, but that is enough for now. That's enough for now. Uh, because we are far past our time, but God bless you all. Uh, We're going to go ahead and pray and be dismissed. Thank you all for those of you that stayed here with us to the end. Uh, Father, we come before you, God. We thank you for your love and your mercy.